0: Hello my friends and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host Ray Bohax the Hot Rod Farmer and I want to just thank you all so much. So much for tuning in or clicking in today or whenever you are uh, listening to this episode. I just want you to know how much I appreciate all of you and I don't tell you often enough but I look at every one of you as a family member and uh Hopefully, God willing, maybe in a small way, you may think of me that way, but that is not important. It's important for me to, to honor you and to uh, recognize you as family. So hopefully everything is going well. I uh, was blessed to go to Commodity Classic last week and uh, had a nice flight. Flew out on a Boeing 737 MAX, which looked like it was almost brand new. That is a very, very nice plane, much nicer then the imported airbus that i came home on i think it was an airbus a319 um that boeing i mean the, the seats that I forget about it in a plane they're so tight i mean you like sardines in there regardless but the boeing 737 max was definitely a sweet ride and uh, it had ge engines on it according to the information that they provided i don't know what engines were on the airbus but interestingly enough, when I was talking to the stewardess at the end of the flight on the Airbus, she said she <laughs> hates the Airbus. She said, uh, she said if you have to work the plane, you know, as a stewardess, and uh, she says the Airbus is just so awkward. And she showed me in the galley. She took me in the galley and showed me how actually the, uh, the doors, there are no real doors on the cabinets where they keep everything, the food and what have you. And it looks almost like an old ammo box, but a disc uh, with that type of latch, but a disc uh, military ammo box. But with a military ammo box, the latch would st- the cover would stay in there. This actually falls off. Yeah, I don't know. So, whatever. But the Boeing was definitely definitely a sweet piece. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, had a wonderful time at Commodity Classic. But I have to say that uh, it was definitely a blessed trip for me because I was have I was able to run into so many listeners of either the podcast or the or the radio show or both and uh and it was just so so nice to uh, to be able to put a face with those people and for them to put a uh, a face with a voice i guess right so uh, i don't know if i ran into 30 40 people stop me and i'm saying this humbly but it was just, just what a blessing, and you all are such a blessing to me. And I have a number of shout-outs, too, I have to give you, because they gave me pins on the map right there in, in, in I was going to say, in Kentucky and then New Orleans. And the hotel I stayed at, which was called the, uh, I forgot what it was called, the, the Higgins, the Higgins, which was part of a new uh, Hilton collection called Curio. The hotel was, was gorgeous drop dead gorgeous i would say that uh it's probably a four-star hotel i don't think it was a five-star but it was right across from the world war ii museum and uh you know the interesting thing is that i mean here i mean it is, the hotel is new i think they opened it just before covid and the world war ii museum is supposed to be fantastic the people told me it would take two and a half days to go through it. Obviously, I didn't get a chance to do anything because the museum closes at five o'clock and the trade show closes at five o'clock. So, you know, when you're on a business trip like that, you really don't get a chance to do much. But anyway, um, but, you know, getting back to the hotel for a minute is that here you have this gorgeous, drop dead gorgeous hotel. 200, I think it was 214 rooms or 244 rooms. Uh, with an Art Deco World War Two themed uh, uh, appearance, I don't say decorations, I should say. And uh, but I mean, this is a Hilton. I, I I don't even want to tell you how much the room was every night. But I used my my travel points for it sucked up. I think I had a half a million points and sucked up almost half of them for three nights. But anyway, they don't clean the room. You know i'm so tired of all this stuff with covid covid and i mean this is a four-star hotel and i mean i'm by myself i don't make a mess but you know uh, you're you're paying whatever three hundred dollars a night or or, i mean maybe even the worth or close to four hundred dollars a night based upon what my points were and you know i'm coming into the coming into the room and uh, it's it's yeah, you know, it's to me. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So they had said when you checked in. Now when I went, you know, I, when I had gone to Hampton Inn, which is a lower brand within the same family, they tried to pull the same thing. But they said, well, if you know, if you request room service, we will we will honor it and do it. So every day when I left the hotel, I went to the front desk and I requested room service. So they told me when I checked in that if you if you need more towels or something, they'll come and they'll give them to you. So I requested that the first, after the first night, came back to the room, Zippo, baby, nothing, nobody came there. So I said, all right, well, you know, hey, I mess up also, so things mess up, people, things happen, right? You can't blame people. I mean, whatever, life happens. I mean, I'm I'm not perfect. So I mess up people's names on the show all the time. I mess up a lot of stuff. But anyway, so, uh, so the next morning, when I was going to Commodity Classic, I stopped at the front desk. And, um, you know, there was a different lady. they very, very nice. I told her, I said, Leo, I requested room service uh, yesterday or at least to bring some more towels. And no one came. So she said, oh, I'm so sorry, blah, 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 So I said, well, it's not your fault. Don't I mean, it's not the end of the world. They had plenty of towels. But it just irked me that I'm paying all this money and I, mean, I got wet towels on the floor. So uh, folded up nicely underneath the sink. So she says, oh, no, make sure, take care of it. Room Thirty came back nothing Zippo and then in the hallway and, and please, don't get, you know, please don't get me wrong I'm not a pain in the neck but this is a drop-dead gorgeous property and the thing is that uh when I checked in on Wednesday there was two little pieces of paper in the hallway on the eighth floor going to the elevator about 50 feet apart from one another one on the right hand side of the hallway one on the other well when I left for a Saturday morning those two pieces of paper were there So it means that no one did anything. So the moral of the story here, from from my perspective, is that I'm so tired of these companies and these whatever businesses that put on a facade. I mean, don't have beautiful marble. I mean, you should have seen the mirror that was in the the bathroom in the room. It probably cost $5,000. I'd rather have somebody clean the room and pick the paper up off the floor. Now, granted, somebody should not have dropped the paper on the floor. But after three days, I mean, after three days that I was there, and that paper may have been there for a week. I mean, who knows? So I was disappointed in that. And I think I'm going to reach out to the manager because, not to complain, and I would definitely go back to the hotel. But how disappointed I am. I wouldn't, you know, I really wouldn't stand for that in the Motel 6, let alone the Curio collection from Hilton. So whatever and um but that is basically but you know it's you know it's the same thing that you go you go to a restaurant you go to a car dealer you go to an implement dealer then you know they put big fancy schmancy all this stuff i don't want fancy schmancy i want quality i mean i I don't care i'd rather have have the room cleaned and clean towels instead of having a million dollar elevator that's gold-plated but maybe maybe i'm wrong who the heck knows so (coughs) excuse me so that is that but the other interesting thing i wanted to say is um and and I, i guess i finally connected these dots i mean our farm is only about 60 miles from manhattan from new york city and i always say it's like a little hamlet here that time is forgotten to a certain extent not the way it was 40 years ago but to a certain extent and um and, you know, people like I'm in New Orleans. So are you going to go over here? You go over there. I don't want to see a city. I want to be out in the cornfield. I want to be out in the wheat field. I want to be on a dirt road. And, <coughs> excuse me, I respect the fact that you are a product of where you live. So if you live in Montana or in Nebraska or on a, on a big, beautiful farm in Louisiana, then, it, then that's definitely interesting and intriguing to go see a city. And, and I respect that, and I honor that. But for me, I don't want to go. I mean, if I want to go to the city, go sixty miles. I'll need to go two thousand miles. So, um, so. Uh, but it was interesting how so many of the attendees were so enamored to go to the city, and I understand that because it's different. And I I'm, and I'm pleased if you're one of those. I I'm not knocking it out whatsoever. But they couldn't understand why I didn't. And I'm saying they, a the couple of people I spoke to. That, um, that I wasn't interested in in, in, in going to, to see a big city. I, I hate cities. So I'll tell you, I haven't been in Manhattan for 12 years, maybe even longer. I think the auto show 12 or 14 years ago I went. But um, <clears throat> that is that. And the other thing I have to say, the show was great for me. Thank God. Uh, made a lot of great contacts, but... The attendance was way way down everybody thought there was going to be bus you know of course there was no commodity classic last year but the general consensus was and i agreed that new orleans took too long to lift the mask mandate and they they lifted the mask mandate on monday and the show started on wednesday and you know and a lot of people and i even um, whatever look whatever you feel about that's your own business i respect that 110 if you want to wear a mask that's fantastic but I don't think it should be mandated. And they and I was even contemplating not going because I said to my wife, who wants to walk around all day long with a mask on trying to talk to somebody? You can't even see their face. So uh, so they lifted the mask mandate on Monday and the general consensus was that a lot of the people, farmers and ranchers, chose not to go simply because the ma- if they would have lifted the mask mandate on January 1st, I think the attendance would have been a lot better. But hey so be it they did not ask me but had a wonderful time and uh it was a, oh the other thing I'm, I'm just telling you because you're family so I gotta tell you everything right so I can't believe how I rode in a car service picked me up at the farm here took me to the airport Hoskins limousine then I took a uh well like a shuttle bus it was a not a shuttle, airport shuttle. It was an E350 or E50 Ford, uh, older one, you know, with a bus body on it to to the hotel. And then I took a cab from the hotel at five o'clock in the morning Saturday to the airport, which was a Nissan Quest, which was a piece of junk as far as I'm concerned had no room in it whatsoever in the electric door uh, almost grabbed my bag and then the other thing then I got picked up uh, by the same people Hoskins Limousine in down, to take me back to the farm all right the reason why I'm telling you that so I rode in four different vehicles over the course of that trip and then I just walked back and forth to the convention center it was about three blocks away each one had a service engine soon light on the, the car going to the airport was an uh, Impala, had a service engine soon light on. The, the uh, E450 uh, or 350 uh, van had a service engine soon light on. The Nissan Quest had a service engine soon light And the, the Suburban had picked me up. I mean, I don't know what it is why people just don't get that stuff fixed and the mindset is that because and that's going to lead into my show today so I'm not just babbling to waste your time so you know the mindset is if the run's fine they're going to leave the service engine soon light on or the people don't know how to fix it or they tell the owner of the vehicle that it's gonna be $10 million. But I've never had a service engine soon light on in any of my cars. My escort had almost 500,000 miles on. The light never went on once, other than when you turn the key on for the bulb check. My Fiesta has 210,000 miles. Zippo, I mean, I understand. My Ranger has 150,000 miles. My wife's old ZX2 has 200,000 miles. Her Escape has 100,000 miles. I mean I don't understand why all of these four out of four with the service engine soon light on. So, hey, so be it. I guess it is a different world, but <clears throat> let's get to something more important. Let's get to the shoutouts. And I just put in a call before I start to recall to find out what the status of my Hot Rod Farmer License plates are. So, you know if you give me a shout out and you re- reach out to me <clears throat> at Hot Rod Farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com so I can put a pin in my map that you will be in the drawing for a hot rod farmer license plate. And hopefully they come in soon. Alrighty, the first shout out, and I'm and I I'm gonna apologize in advance because a couple of these names I know I'm gonna kill, is to Mr. David Osterloh, O-S-T-E-R-L-O-H, from Maria Stein, Ohio. And he read my blog, and he responded to me to my blog and uh it was about personal luxury cars and it's flags across the harvest if you go to my website you could see it's the latest one and he wrote a beautiful note to me and he when he was a young man he had a 66 tornado with a cam in it and he used to beat a lot of camaros with it he's an organic dairy farmer with his son his son is getting ready to take over the farm in maria stein ohio and then he also, subsequently, we, we, uh, we communicated uh, the other day, and he wrote me a, a very, very interesting story about an old dealership that was in town, just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story, and he found an old picture of the dealership of 1935. They sold farm tractors and Oldsmobiles, and that is, uh, that's a piece of America that no longer exists. Oldsmobile obviously, and farm tractors being sold in the same showroom as as Ozenbiel's. Back in 08, when I went out west, it was in Nebraska, I think. It wasn't in Ogallala. It probably was near Ogallala, and I remember there was a dealership there. There was a GM store, I forgot what it was. 08 was, oh eight. Ozenbiel still existed, and they sold uh, appliances. So there was a showroom with the, New GM cars. They were either Pontiacs or Rosenbills, I think, and they were washing machines next to it. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So, anyway, Mr. Osterloh, thank you so, so much. And I'm going to get to know him a little bit better. I think that he may be an excellent candidate for an on the road podcast if he is interested in doing it. So, there's a pin now in Maria Stein, Ohio. The next pin, this gentleman, I met him out at Commodity Classic and his name is Albert Radloff, and he lives out in the Minnesota, Minneapolis, St. Paul area, and he's got a PhD in agronomy, and he's working, uh, doing a lot of research, and he came from a dairy farm background, and I think he said he has an F-150, and his brother has a diesel pickup truck, which he just did a, a, a delete on. I don't know what kind it was, but I forgot to ask him. And then but he is, so he gave me a pin in Minneapolis-St. Paul, but he's also giving me a pin in Tanzania because he's he's on his way right now to do some work, uh, agronomic work in Tanzania, and he said he's going to be there for a while, so we have a pin in Tanzania and a pin in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Okay, the next shout-out and pin goes to Mr. Rock, and that his is his legal name, R O C K, Rock Catchnig, Rock, Kat, and it's he spelt it for me phonetically, and I met him coming out at a welcome ceremony at Kamani Classic. I asked somebody something, and he recognized my voice, and he goes, "You're a hot rod farmer," and then we subsequently met four more times at the show. A salt of the earth guy. Uh, rock he farms out in western illinois i don't know the name of the town i just sent him an email before i did the show to get the name of the town but he um did not get back to me yet so we're just gonna put a i know it's western northwestern illinois so i'll put a pin somewhere in there and his uh, and his name is rock catching and he li- listens on sirius xm and then uh we have mr Corey Atley and if you watch this the show pod fathers and corn warriors Corey is on that show and he's out in ohio and we got a pin in the map for him and he's going to be on an episode of on the road and then we have also mr chad henderson who also is on that same show uh I don't know if he's on, I know he's on Corn Warriors, maybe on Podfathers too, that I don't know. And he's out in Alabama and he's a hot rod farmer just like Corey, because Corey is a tractor pull guy and Chad is a drag racer. So there's a pin going into Ohio and a pin going into Alabama. And then Mr. Seth Wood, he wanted a pin in a map that he's actually the owner and the producer of both of those TV shows. And he lives in, um, outside Richmond, Virginia. So we got three- pins going into that uh corn warriors pod fathers crew and then uh let me see so that's that is basically all of my pins that i got this week so thank you thank you very much i greatly appreciate that <clears throat> so now uh, <clears throat> 19 minutes into the show that's not good right and uh, thank you for putting up with me but like i always say i want to catch up with you you're my family but um so what are we going to talk about today we're going to talk about when lawyers think that they are engineers, and what am I? What, what do I mean by that? Is that within the machinery world? and the machinery world, of course, this is far machinery digest. Right, the machinery world encompasses all different things. Is that you know today, and probably not probably the past thirty or forty years, sadly, but specifically today, it's such a litigious society that oftentimes the lawyers have more control over everything than the engineers. So between, between the bean counters, right, the accountants uh, that are looking to cut everything, and then the lawyers, it's amazing that we even have any products in, this, in the world it's because they either wanna uh, legislate everything and make it so nobody could, so afraid they're gonna be sued, and the other people, the bean counters, wanna cut all the costs so much that they, uh, not good. It's not good. But anyway, you know, after talking to people and having people communicate me in my my years in the business, I've come across so many examples. And I took and I took some scratch paper here and I made a quick list. So many examples of of where lawyers are dictating engineering or maintenance or service protocols. And trust me, excuse me, <coughs> my nose is plugging up but trust me that does not work and it's and it's uh so so common today and my first my first exposure to that was many many years ago as a young man and sadly and it was at General Motors and uh it was probably 40 years ago I was a young kid I was a teenager so and I went up to General Motors told you many times if you listen to the show used to go up to the Terrytown New York gm training center and uh, mr richard hip for many 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 classes learned so much from him and one of the first things that i uh was exposed to that made no sense whatsoever So let me back up the thing is that you know if you're listening to this show then you have a higher higher level of mechanical prowess and knowledge than than the average farmer or average person because if you didn't, you probably you wouldn't be listening to this, right? Because you would find it either dry, or boring, or have no interest in it whatsoever. And you know, in life, lots of times you have to apply. I don't want to say common sense because because conventional wisdom, common sense, sometimes in some examples do not uh, do not apply. Yeah, you know, specifically conventional wisdom because you think you know how something happens in life, and that could be from a seed germinating to uh, to a rocket engine or anything in between, so lots of times, uh, or, 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 or probably more than an occasion, that you know, conventional wisdom may not apply to that. And uh, but once you have some knowledge of what's going on in, within a certain genre, then you then it's really not conventional wisdom anymore that you com- you're come you you're drawing an educated conclusion. And when lots of times when you draw an educated conclusion, and then you find out some protocols that a manufacturer has or some taboos that they say don't do this don't do this and you kind of scratch your head and it doesn't make any sense and one of the first things i remember back in uh, the early 1980s was going up to general motor school when they had the Oldsmobile diesel right the 5.7 gas yes. well you know, people say it was a gas engine and it really wasn't a gas engine i mean it had it was a it was a modified block it was based upon a gas engine so people say oh they converted a gas engine and i guess in some way you could say that they did but uh it wasn't like they took the carburetor off and they put an injection pump on it so when they had that diesel and i went to the, i went to the class for that and what was said in the class and dick hip did not teach that class because that was more on the the ozmobile would the uh, de- i shouldn't say Oldsmobile. it was on the uh, dealer side versus the ac delco side mr hip worked for ac delco and uh they said that you cannot wash the engine down and i was i i, I was a young guy I went nuts over this because i always washed my engines that back then they didn't have simple green i forgot what i used to use to wash the engines down but i suspect do something with it, gunk, that's what it was, gunk, (coughs) excuse me, remember gunk, I mean, it used to have, it used to, I mean, you sprayed that stuff on there, it was great, and then, I mean, that back then, you know, 40 years ago, probably 35 years ago, it started to not be so strong, but 40 years ago, I mean, that stuff was great, you spray, you have a dirty engine, greasy oil leak, you spray it on there, you follow the instructions, you get the engine warm and you spray it on there, and then, you know, let it soak and hit it with the, with the, oh, hose nobody had a pressure washer back then hit it with the garden hose and boy that thing came out sparkling clean but it stank for a long time had a certain odor you always knew when someone gunked their engine and i was upset over this because i loved the clean engine and i still love a clean engine i forever wash my engine whenever i wash my car wash my engine i don't use gunk anymore i use something like simple green or purple power and it doesn't get that dirty to more dusty than anything and uh And not only is it better for the engine to be clean because it dissipates the heat and the dirt and grease doesn't attack hoses and belts and gaskets and work their way into things, but it's also, much. you could do a much better job working on something, even when I had my shop, before I worked on any engine, even for a tune-up, I would wash it down so you could work clean. You do a better job when you work clean. So anyway, and I was devastated by that, so I went next door to the next classroom and and saw Mr. Hip and i said to him, mr hip they're saying you can't wash these engines down what are you supposed to do so i was a young, a young man so he said to me well because they and I, he says and i said to him, mr Hipp, they said because the tolerance is in the injection pump and it was a rusa master injection pump i remember and i was always mobiles i think it was a ruse yeah it was a rusa master or Stanodyne. i think it was a rusa master but anyway uh they had a couple of different engines They had a 6 diesel and then they had the 57 and uh but they said it would it would it would it would ruin the injection pump i mean <clears throat> i hate when people say they're gonna, it's gonna ruin something with no accident i'll do that you know <clears throat> you know if you do that you're gonna go blind <laughs> right so the thing is that um I, to me it made no sense now it made sense to me if you said well the engine was very hot and if the if the if you if you sprayed gunk or something on it or hit it with a cold water when it was when it was at, at full operating temperature that you could well you shouldn't do you shouldn't wash any engine when it's at full operating temperature but I couldn't understand that so Mister Hip told me yes Ray you're right he said you can wash it down. not that I had one <laughs> right? but uh, it, was, it was bothering me and uh, that you couldn't wash the motor down and I said yes you're right you're right he said just don't wash it down when it's hot which is a basic protocol. You would do anything. I can have a motor 230 degrees and then spray gunk on it and hit it with 50 degree well water. So he says, and, and you'll be fine. But the, you know what I'm building up to is that what they did is because of the lawyers they took a blanket statement, don't wash the engine. That's saying don't wash the engine. If it's war- if it's hot, don't wash the engine. If it's warm, you have to use some sort of cleaner that'd be active when it's cold, all right? The thing is that they didn't say anything, just don't wash the engine. So that really upset me. And the other thing, then the following suit, so I'm not picking on General Motors here only because they were the most open with their training, so I had the most exposure to them. Not that any other comp- not that they were full of these faux pas or, uh, lit- you know, p- uh, lawyers uh, dictating, dictating engineering, but the other companies were, were the same way. But I had the most exposure, so a lot of my examples are with that. And you know, another thing that GM used to say, and I remember going to a class when I worked for the Buick dealer, and I was in school. I worked at Reese Buick out in Mineola, Long Island, 410 Jericho Turnpike. Why I remember that address, I have no idea. (laughs) It's funny how you remember something. But, excuse me, I had made, at that particular point, the beginnings of an entire career. Excuse me. And I have to say, quite honestly, a lucrative career and a rewarding career. Of taking feedback carburetors apart—the Rochester E2ME, E2MC, uh, E4ME—apart uh, and doing all the adjustments: the rich stop, lean stop, idle air bleed, float level, throttle position sensor, and then mixture screws—and uh, getting them to run fantastically. I mean, they were all—they were all—you had to untamper proof, yet remove all the tamper proofing, which is another legal thing removal of tamper proofing and then uh you could get to all those adjustments and I used to dial those in and I'm not bragging but they ran beautifully when you got done with them and half the time they came from the factory running like a bag of bolts well I shouldn't say like a bag of bolts some of them did but for them they didn't run as good as after I got done with the carburetor that's for sure and it was brand new oil do was it apart and and uh, and readjust everything and put it back on there right and they said and gm used to say no adjustments if it doesn't run right put a new carburetor on it which is absolutely ridiculous and then the same token is that what i had found is that on the throttle body cars throttle body injection and later subsequently the port fuel injection engines that the throttle plates would get dirty from the reversion of the camshaft and the egr passage egr was introduced right in the plenum right behind the throttle plate so the throttle plates would get dirty, and the idle air control would get dirty, and then the car would be stalling. Uh, usually on D-cell, it'd stall, or uh, never stall going down the road at 50 miles an hour, but it would stall, or uh, it would hesitate, but specifically a lot of stalling. And what would happen is the throttle plates would be gummed up, the idle air control would be gummed up, which is slow to respond, and did not move enough air because the passage was gummed up and then the what was called the minimum air rate screw it wasn't an idle speed screw because the idle air control controlled the speed it was the minimum amount of air that would go past the throttle plate so that the idle air control could function properly that would i don't know if it would loosen up i can't believe excuse me i can't believe it would get pounded down that much but that would be off and the tps would be off But I made, and I know a couple of people who are listening to this show, I did their carburetors, and I set up the fuel injection on their tune port motors or their Buick Grand Nationals or their Turbo Trans Am. And so uh, they're probably nodding their head as they listen to this. And they used to say, you can't adjust this. You can't adjust it. Don't adjust it. You can't adjust it. No adjustments. You're not allowed to touch anything. All right. Well, if, it wasn't, if I wasn't allowed to touch anything, Buick would have brought back a lot of cars. And when I worked for Allen Test Products, I fixed a lot of cars. It was the GM um, Lemon Law Garage. And I remember there was a Caprice there, beautiful two-door Caprice. It may, may have told you the story before a beautiful two-door caprice it kept setting the code 44 and i knew what was wrong with it the carburetor needed to be adjusted and it went through the lemon law through the courts and it, it was this what they called last chance garage it was an industrial park down in south brunswick new jersey and they had me come down there with the oscilloscope to look at it and uh, i'm not going to say the person's name who was an engineer there It was a woman engineer, and I have nothing against women. I have nothing against, I'm a merit-based person. I don't care if you have a horn growing out of the middle of your head and you're purple, is that if you have the the best skills, the best knowledge, and you should have that job. But this woman was nothing but an affirmative action hire, and she had no idea what the hell she was doing, and she had an engineering degree, and um, she hated my guts. She was about 10 years older than me at the time, And I remember coming down there and they they had me come down with the scope. It was a gorgeous two-door Caprice, 84 two-door Caprice. And uh, I was a young guy. I was like 20 years old, 21 years old, if even that. And uh, just out of college and got the job with the oscilloscope manufacturer, maybe 22 years old, I don't know. But uh, anyway, and I said to her, the rich and lean stopper off in the carburetor and the idle air, but the carburetor needs to be gone through. And she was coming all this, she was talking all kind of crap and uh, just uh, using, I mean, just talking a bunch of, uh, uh, talking, as we say, smack, a nice way of saying it, right? Talking smack, using all these terms. So I said to her, look, I said, I have all my tools here, you have a parts department, can you? Yeah, I don't even need. All I need is a throttle body to air horn gasket because I don't need to take the throttle. I mean, air horn the float ball gasket. That's all I need. If you give me an air horn to float, I'm gonna. I'll fix this car. I'll let me try to fix. I said, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. So. I went through the carburetor, did it. The thing ran beautifully, no check engine light on, nothing, had plenty of power. You looked at the key, it started. Well, by the time I got back to my office in Fairfield, she called my boss and tried to get me fired and told told them that I was disrespectful and I was nasty and that was not in my personality, especially to a woman. And uh, uh, somebody who was older than me, I would maybe bust a guy's chops, but I would just, uh, you know, just just chop busting. I was not never disrespectful or nasty to anyone. So, but you know, you're not supposed to touch those carburetors. You're not supposed to touch that fuel injection. You're not supposed to adjust it. And that was all the lawyers saying that. And the other thing that they used to say is that, uh, so GM used to tell you if the car stalls, the throttle body is dirty. Excuse me, I (coughs) got (coughs) to... Excuse me, excuse me. But uh, they said to put a new throttle body on it. I mean, you have a car with 20,000 miles of city miles, it's two years old, you're going to put a $600 throttle body because it's dirty, and then two years from now, you're going to put another $600 throttle body because it's dirty? That's ridiculous. That's like the old thing saying when the ashtray is full, buy a new car, right? I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. But the... uh, The the next thing I want to bring up as we roll along here is that, and I have a couple of listeners who are contacting me because they know I'm so big on advertising diesel fuel. And people have contacted me and said, well, I have a new Power Stroke or I have a new uh, Duramax, I have a new Cummins. One listener to my radio show has a Mercedes diesel. And he says, Mercedes says, don't put any additives in the fuel, all right? and the thing is that and i'm trying to tell them that the fuel needs to be additized and uh but they're saying not to put any additives in the fuel and another one that's a, another one with lawyers and then i'm going to go through these quickly so you can understand is that uh ford motor company with the uh, the uh echo boost engines like on the v6s uh uh, building a lot of carbon deposits with like a lot of gasoline direct injection engines and they're telling you that if it sets this trouble code and the trouble code is for a misfire because the carbon deposits they're telling you to put a new cylinder head on the engine all right and then uh let me see another one which is famous is that you're not supposed to cut new brake drums or rotors so those are a couple that I that I made a list of that are strictly protocols that have come out of the respective corporation's legal department, not their engineering or their service departments, and then now causes a lot of strife because you are as a consumer and or as a as a person working as you're saying, like this gentleman, he's freaking out saying you're telling me to put ads, and Mercedes is saying not to use anything, so what do i do? Well, let's go through this real quickly. And we'll go through the diesel additive one. Well, first of all, <coughs> with any of with all of these things as I said in the beginning, you need to have some level of knowledge yourself to be able to discern and you know the word discernment is very very important and as a christian the word discernment is is extremely important because you have to discern what the will of god is or what your will is trying to masquerade of as the will of god or the will of satan trying to confuse you and think that it's the will of god so you have to be able to, to discern and when it comes to these things you have to be able to discern now we'll start with the diesel additives that mercedes is so ridiculous that they tell you not to add a add, die additize the fuel yourself but that you they suggested you buy professionally additized fuel now what the heck is professionally additized fuel i mean that means that for instance like where i go to the truck stop all right, that they're going to have. In no disrespect that I'm saying this, know, so Zig Ziglar used to say, "Break it down to the ridiculous." You know, exact, not exaggerated, but break it down to the ridiculous to drive home a point. I mean, there's some people, nice people. They're all nice people at that truck stop. I go, but there's some people that work there that are not the brightest bulb in the box. And I'm, and nice people though. All right. I, 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 please and don't think i'm being judgmental because as a christian i'm not so they have somebody there and they're going to tell this guy okay we're getting eight thousand gallons of diesel fuel for him to dump some additive in so is that professionally advertised diesel fuel according to mercedes because the guy has a ta truck stop well it's a travel center excuse me not truck stop because that, that's stigmatized Tra- so he works with a truck stop and he's getting ten dollars an hour and uh and he's on a work release program, and and so now that's professionally advertised fuel, and he doesn't mix it right or dumps it in, or, or whatever. Maybe I mean, so I mean, it's such a ridiculous statement. But then again, here come the lawyers, and you know, to, and what? And if we if we go through that statement, use only <coughs> professionally advertised fuel in your diesel Mercedes. Or your Power Stroke, or your your Duramax, or whatever it may be, we will pick on Mercedes because I know that for a fact. And I know somebody came to me and said to me, "My my 2021 Power, uh, not Power Stroke, Duramax, don't use any additives." All right, but they suggest buying fuel. Then again, but they don't say professionally advertised. Is that their their lawyers are working under the assumption that you are an idiot, all right, and you're stupid and you're going to dump something that's not for diesel fuel in the gas tank, that you're going to go to Walmart or to Advanced Auto, and you're going to buy Octane Booster, 104 plus Octane Booster for racing gas, and you're going to dump it in the diesel tank. So their whole attitude is we're going to tell the consumer not to use any additive, not that that's sound engineering, and we're going to work under the assumption that the guy who works at the truck stop or in the gear, or in the fuel station, that that he's a professional and is going to advertise the fuel properly, and that's a bunch of malarkey, because you could, uh, it, I mean, you have better bets of advertising yourself. So now, what we're basically doing is we're having people run around in a diesel Mercedes or a, a Duramax with a lack of lubricity in the fuel, which is going to eventually ruin the injectors. And it's a common rail system, so it's not an injection pump per se, like an old pump line nozzle. Rooney injectors. It's going. We're going to uh, uh, build a lot of deposits because it's no detergent. We're going to go through a lot of a lot of regen cycles in the DPF because of uh, because of. Um, uh, Poor combustion. We're going to go through a lot of DEF through the SCR system because a lot of oxides of nitrogen because of poor combustion. But we should not advertise the fuel. Now you may say to yourself, "Well, that's under warranty." Well, if you read the warranty, if the fuel ruins the injection pump or the fuel ruins the injectors, or does anything, that is not one, the warranty? So what they're basically telling you is, don't advertise the fuel. And when everything if something fails, it's on you, buddy. But because you listened to us and you didn't advertise the fuel, and that's what that is all about. So they don't trust you to use a proper additive. And with all of these diesel fuel additives, it is literally impossible for you to over-additize it. The only thing that you would hurt if you over-additize it is your pocketbook. You're not gonna hurt the engine, and any company that makes a quality additive will tell you that. Next thing on the list is on fuel injection, don't use fuel injection cleaners. Well, the thing basically is that the same thing holds true. Is that the lawyers are putting a blanket statement into the owner's manual and into service bulletin saying don't use any injector cleaners? So now, if you don't use an injector cleaner, you're going to have deposits. A fuel systems cleaner, which will have which would work in cleaning deposits off the valve and the piston and the pintle of the injector. So if you don't to your fuel, but then when you go to the pump and you see a top tier fuel which is supposed to have an additive in it that is some sort of fuel system cleaner, top tier. If you go look at Shell, you go look at Exxon, they say we have, you drive your engine clean used to be the the advertisement. I think it was mobile or exxon or somebody drive your engine clean so and if you know anything about the gasoline business is that it is base fuel and at the distribution center wherever the distribution center is the base fuel goes into the tanker and while they're putting a the base fuel tanker they put the brand specific additive so if it's a chevron or texaco or shell or or phillips 66 and they have an additive package that's actually put into the tanker and then the tanker is filled with gas and it sloshes around on the way to the gas station so i guess because the guy was there and he has a uniform on (coughs) excuse me uniform on from the trucking company, that that's a professionally, professionally advertised fuel. And how many times when I talk to the truck drivers at the truck stop, they say, ah, this load never really got any additive in it because the thing ran out. The guy told me, just go on, Joey, go on, make the delivery. Don't worry about it. We'll fill it. You'll get it next time. So, but that's professionally additive, So that is fine. So according to many car manufacturers, engine, gasoline engines, from imported and domestic. They suggest using a top tier fuel, but you better not listen to the hot rod farmer and put Tecron or Seafoam Foam or some other high quality additive in the tank yourself. And then you, because you don't know what you're doing. But the guy at the depot who know, knows everything about it and doesn't even know what the heck he's doing. So that's another another example. <coughs> Excuse me of the lawyers mandating mechanical procedure and engineering. Okay, do not clean the throttle body and the idle air control that you have to replace them. I have no idea where that came from, all right, because uh, the throttle body, some throttle bodies later on, not in 1982, had a coating around them where it was supposed to be an anti coking coating which did not work, all right? It was a green coating, and they used to put it on there, and it did not work, and the throttle body cleaner or carburetor cleaner would take that off. Now, the thing basically is, is that now when you clean the idle air control, you had to take it out. Now, to the to the lawyer's defense, excuse me, to the lawyer's defense, is that when you took the idle air control out or the auxiliary air, air valve, whatever you want to call it, like on a Ford or a foreign car, is that you had to hold it so when you sprayed the carburetor cleaner in there, it didn't get into the motor, the windings of the motor, and destroy it. So I guess because most people don't have, even mechanics don't have proper mechanical protocol, they said, do not clean it. You need to buy a new throttle body and idle air control for $1,000 and put that on there every time it gets dirty because of that. So instead of saying the procedure would be to clean it, it's so much easier in today's litigious society, I can't even, I'm all worked up, can't even talk anymore, to say don't clean it, right? Just buy a new one. And that brings a lot of customer satisfaction when you have a three-year-old, a two-year-old, Buick or Ford, or Nissan, or whatever it may be, and you have to put a $1,000 throttle body on it because it got a little bit dirty and it doesn't run right and it wants to stall. So we just gotta buy a new one and put it on there and throw it out and every month as well budget $1,000 every two years for a new throttle body. All right, so now do not wash a diesel engine. And I kind of addressed that because you don't wanna wash any engine when it's hot and subject it to cold water I mean, it could be warm, 70, 80, 90 degrees, but the thing basically is, is that uh, all all manufacturers do a snow ingestion test to some level, <clears throat> but but the thing is that you go, go through a deep puddle, the engine's getting splashed up. So then again, they told you not to wash this diesel engine because it was gonna mess up the injection pump. But if you were to wash a 90 degree or 100 degree engine with 60 degree 50 let's say well water 54 degrees and some soap the differential if it's 54 degrees it's only 46 degrees (laughs) between 100 degrees and that that's not going to warp or ruin anything so let's let the engine be dirty when we work on it as a mechanic let's say we have to take something off let's let all that grease and dust and dirt go inside and let that, that dust and grease and dirt just attack all the rubber hoses and attack everything, but that's fine. But the lawyers tell us we should not wash it, right? And then let's get to my uh, beloved Ford Motor Company and their uh, Boost engines that when we're setting a certain code, I don't know the number, for a misfire and the engine is all carboned up, just buy a new cylinder head. That's all, buy a new cylinder head, put it on there. And then, then again, you know, instead of running any a carbon removal chemical uh, through it on a GDI gasoline direct engine, you'd need to use something that's a dripping chemical, I believe that uh, 3M has an excellent product along with other companies and then an in-tank cleaner let's say like a Chevron Techron, to clean the piston and the actual injector but the dripping stuff the spray and stuff while the engine's running to clean the backside of the valve they tell you do not buy do not clean it uh buy a new cylinder head and if it's a v6 buy two cylinder heads and that is because they are afraid i would assume that you're going to not do this properly and hydro lock the engine well if you hydro lock the engine that's not on ford's nickel but i guess their lawyers jumped and said well if we tell a mechanic to use this drip-in chemical let's say like run right or the i said the 3m system or i think crc has an excellent system all right and the guy does it wrong and he hydro locks the engine that we're going to have liability because we told them to do it so let's tell them not to do it and then let's tell them not to do it and we got our we cya you know what that means right and we can't get sued that the guy has a eighty thousand dollar f-150 platinum pickup truck or, or a limited pickup truck and it has a, a trouble code in it for uh, for misfire because it's loaded up with carbon all right loaded up with carbon so we tell him that he needs four or five thousand dollars worth of repairs on his truck and it's not covered by warranty because it's loaded up with carbon but he should not use any gas that's not professionally advertised and he shouldn't do any carbon removal procedure just buy and do buy new cylinder heads and then we'll also have a mechanic that'll bust half the stuff taking it off and putting the cylinder heads on that are only going to get carboned up again but hey we got paid to do that so that's all good right so that is the <clears throat> mindset and that's not just ford i mean when i worked for products years ago I used to have mitsubishi's they would hardly run because they were so carboned up and they used to tell it back then mitsubishi was saying to put out that they were having the wanting the customer to put a whole new engine in it uh, I mean and not just the cell and the head and not just the injectors, a whole new engine That, that they had to have a whole new engine and they would and what they would do, the customer would cry like anything and so maybe back then it was five or six thousand dollars, so they would charge the like guy four thousand dollars and say, We'll, we'll eat two thousand or half of it or something, which was probably the real price anyway. And then another thing that the lawyers get involved with, and I is, do not cut new brake rotors or drums. Take them right out of the box. And even though this may not be as much lawyery as as uh, the other things that I mentioned, is that a lot of brake drums and rotors will have a disclaimer in it that you should not cut them and put them right out of take them and put them right out of the box. Well, the thing basically is that years ago. All brake drums and rotors were made with more material, and they were supposed to be turned before they were put into service because the additional material was there. Because they knew that during shipment and handling, that that rotor or that brake drum was going to be was going to see some rough rough bouncing around and would cause it to warp. And if you have a new brake drum or a new rotor, and if you were to put if you were to take ten rotors. and and this this is anecdotal because i just know from my own practical experience if you were to take 10 rotors out of the box oe rotors chinese rotors everything and put it on the brake lathe you will see that probably 10 out of 10 have some degree of warpage on them from shipping and from handling and from manufacturing so the thing is that I've I've done shows on that about thermal stress and how it and it, how it causes distortion. So what will happen now is you put a rotor on your pickup truck, your wife's car, whatever it may be. All right, it it already has some level of distortion on it. So you go five hundred miles, a thousand miles, two thousand miles. The brakes feel great, and then all of a sudden you do one or two panic stops, and that distortion increases because there wasn't it wasn't clean excuse me it wasn't it it wasn't distortion free to begin with so now that exaggerated it right it distorted more and has more run out and then you're stepping on the brake and as a matter of fact the three out of the four vehicles that I rode on my trip to commodity classic had brake rotor run out because every time the guy stepped on the brake, I felt it. All right. So the thing is that, so what happens now, you take this rotor out of the box, you didn't cut it, you didn't check it. And then down the road, a short while, no pun intended, it has excessive run out. And now you have a pulsing pedal and a shaking car or pickup truck when you stop all right but we're not supposed to cut them and the reason why they claim you're not supposed to cut them because you have to know how to use a brake lathe and when you do when you set up a drum or a rotor on on a brake lathe you put it on there and then you just have the bit touch gently and you take a small cut all right whatever you, you, you just have it touch so it just kisses the surface and on a rotor it would kiss both sides at the same time on a drum obviously one side and you just you just you have it spinning and you would you use the adjustment and you bring it in so it just touches and if you hit then you have run out you have warpage when it is no warpage here, you hit it you hit a bit working against the surface so what you do is you just go kiss it excuse me, don't go in there and and ram it in and cut 30,000s off of it. You just kiss it. You just kiss it and then you'll see how, and then you make a gentle cut on it and then you go back and you finish that cut and you kiss it again and if you kiss it again and then it's not, and it doesn't have any warp, but you do you do a very, very minute cut, just a cleanup cut to get the surface there. You're not taking any life off the road or, you're at, or the drum you're actually increasing its life because you're making the surface of the pad or the shoe is, gonna, is going to, <clears throat> Is going to be at a, at a at a right angle at a proper a proper interface with that friction with that friction surface or the friction material and the friction surface. It's not going to have this run out in it. <coughs> but what they're afraid of is that you are going to have some guy, some flat rate mechanic, or some backyard, whatever shade tree guy whatever not a backyard shade tree guy he's supposed to be a official mechanic and he doesn't know what he's doing and he goes Shh, and he makes one big cut because he's in a hurry and he took half the life off the road already or cut it down where it really needs to be replaced and the thing and then then again i knew a person who did crash investigation for insurance companies and so, so then now somebody crashes and the only time that that was involved with it was god forbid if somebody got hurt and they were really hurt, and there was a litigation, or God forbid they were paralyzed, or they they got killed. If you crash into somebody's car and it's a $20,000 repair, they're not sending a crash investigator. But this is for a bodily injury claim or a death claim. And they don't want them to take the rotors off and say, well, hey, these rotors were just put on this car, and look, they're, they're, they're below the minimum thickness level because the guy cut the hell out of them. Pardon my French so that is another thing so as we went through all of this we have to come here and we have to say to bring closure to it is that you you have to have some level of knowledge and some level of discernment but sadly it would be like now now let me just back up for one minute the other the caveat i need to attach this to this is that that When it comes to some sort of additive in the gasoline or diesel fuel and things of that nature is that you have to use a good quality chemical. What's a good quality chemical? For the most part, a name brand. Any name brand that's a a major name brand that you know, whether it's from an oil company or a company like Gum Out or CRC, you could rest assured that that's a good product and you don't have to worry about it. All right. So the thing is that now I'm not saying that everybody that sells a chemical is 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 uh, you know is a choir boy and 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 for the most part, if they're not a choir boy and they're selling something, it's probably not going to hurt anything. It's just not going to do anything. That it's a snake oil. So I'm not saying just like you know uh, <clears throat> that you have to you have to have some level of, of buyer beware you know, Joe Watermelon and Company Injector Cleaner versus GM Top Engine Cleaner, well, you know, I, I, I would put my, I, I would have no worries with using GM Top Engine Cleaner, but Joe Watermelon and Company Engine Cleaner, that's 89 cents instead of $6 for the can or $20 for the can and GM stuff. I would kind of question that. But that's just, eh, you know, that's just common sense and adding and applying the lessons of life. Excuse me. But... When it comes, So when it comes to that, but the other things that come into play are more predicated upon not or a recognition that a good part of this industry, and whether it's farm equipment repair or vehicle repair, a good part of this industry is not going to institute proper protocols. So they come and they tell you that not to do that. And then who pays the price for that but you do? Because it's your engine, and you said, "Hey, I got this new diesel pickup truck, and I don't give a don what that hot rod farmer says." I got this Mercedes diesel. Oh man, this thing is beautiful. I'm not going to advertise that fuel because I don't care what Ray says. The heck with him. I'm not cleaning that throttle body. I'm not doing anything. I'm not cutting those rotors. I'm not doing anything because the owner's manual says not to. And the thing basically is that you will pay the price because because it's your vehicle it's your farm tractor it's your combine it's your piece of equipment and if you do not follow the proper procedures now the proper procedure doesn't necessarily mean what's in that owner's manual if you don't follow that proper procedure then that engine or that piece of equipment is usually going to over time suffer either a failure or a lack of efficiency or both so I hit on these couple of things here, more than a couple, but you know you have to go and you have to apply critical thinking, you have to apply some discernment and you have to see why are they truly saying that and in today's world, they don't tell you why they're saying it. they just tell you don't do it right It's just like you know you you know don't go out in the sun, don't go out in the sun, you're gonna get skin cancer, don't go out in the sun, right. Well, the good Lord made the son, and the good Lord made your skin. And the good Lord said in the Bible right, that the man is going to have to toil and sweat in the field because of the sins of Adam and Eve, and the woman is going to be bear a child in pain. That's right in the scriptures in Genesis. So the thing is that now if the good Lord made the son and the good Lord made, made the skin, he doesn't he know that didn't i mean he didn't know he'd go oh my god i didn't think about that and i'm gonna be sitting on his throne slurping my lanter because oh my god people can get skin cancer so the thing basically is is that that you know and now we have a situation because they got the people so paranoid about not going in the sun that they have vitamin d deficiencies and and it's been well known that a, lot of, that a lot of women, and I'm not a medical person, I don't, I mean, whatever, so don't take it from me, is that a, that a lot of breast cancer cases are from a lack of vitamin D from sun because they have people all covered up, put, put sunscreen out, they send kids out, to, they're all lathered in sunscreen and put this on and what have you, and they, go, and they have no vitamin D. My own sister never goes out in the sun and she got breast cancer. Never. I don't think she's had a tan in her life. She's as white as a piece of paper. All right. So the thing is that, you know, everything within moderation, but you really have to apply some critical thinking. And when it comes to these things that I just went over, that, you know, you do what you feel comfortable with. It's your piece of farm equipment, it's your piece of machinery. You do what you feel comfortable with. But I want you to ask yourself does that make sense? that I buy a new cylinder head every time the valves get carbon on them. Does that make sense that, that I could go to the truck stop and buy fuel there, and they recommend that I buy fuel that's professionally advertised. but I can't buy a high-quality additive that's much better. It has seven modes of action versus the one mode of action that the truck stop is using, but because the guy who poured it in the bulk tank had a uniform on that said truck stop on it that this is all good so you really need to and sadly we live in a world today that decisions are made upon uh, are based upon trying to shelter and insulate that particular company from litigation not for what is the benefit of the product or the benefit of the consumer or say that hey you know there's a caveat to this and then also we have to have and i put an onus also on the service industry and repair industry because they need to have a certain level of professionalism and know that if you're going to cut a brake drum or rotor you don't cut the hell out of it right and just to, so you can get it off the machine quickly so you put it all together and this is what we have today so hopefully you enjoyed this and if you uh, want to argue with me just email me at hot rod farmer at farm digest.com and now we're going to get into text rubinowitz and i have a quick little question that somebody wrote to me about uh rod connecting rod light come on in tex all well, sure yeah, oh, righty and i'll be real quick because i went long again i get all revved up excited to be back with you and i have a letter here from sam clark and he was asking me uh basically i'll paraphrase it because it was long about the rod to stroke ratio in an engine and and what it affects and he's building a an engine for a square body 84 chevy pickup truck and uh he's building a small block for he didn't say what it was and how big it was and a little, little, uh, little bit of a hotter motor than stock. And he was wondering whether he should, he was going to buy connecting rods and whether he should change the rod, should put a longer or shorter rod in. Well, basically, in essence, we only have a couple of minutes here and they could do a whole show on that. Is that rod to stroke ratio is the is the is the relationship of the length of the connecting rod which is the center to center length the center of the small end and the center of the large and so from the from the journal of the crankshaft to the wrist pin when divided by the stroke now when you divide the two out for instance let's say a uh a 350 chevy from the factory has a 5.7 inch long connecting rod and a 3.48 inch stroke so if you do if you if you divide those together and i should get my calculator here because let me get this and see so i give you exact number clear this out point 48 divided by 5.7, 5.7 5.7 divided by 3.48 equals okay <clears throat> It's 1.63. So the thing basically is, is that uh, the higher numerically the number, so 1.6, 1.7, what have you, all right, the higher the number, then they would say that the rod to stroke ratio is numerically higher. Now, what happens is that when you have a numerically higher rod to stroke ratio, now remember that that the length of the connecting rod does not impact the displacement of the engine. The bore and the stroke are the calculations for the displacement of the engine, not the length of the connecting rod. What the connecting rod length will do is identify where the piston is at a top dead center compared to the deck of the block but it's not going to affect the cubic inches so now in a nutshell when you have a longer connecting rod so the higher numerical rod to stroke ratio so if you use a so if you have a um a uh, a six inch rod versus a five seven then a couple of things are going to happen the, the frictional losses in the engine, the angularity of the thrust side of the piston pushing against the bore as the crank swings in its arc of rotation is going to be less. So there's going to be less thrust side bore wear with a higher numerical rod to stroke ratio. There's also, the piston is also going to dwell on Longer at top dead center when the crank is turning, and historically, when the piston dwells longer at top dead center, that you add octane tolerance to the engine, meaning it, it could run on a lower octane fuel without experiencing abnormal combustion. And then also the moment of inertia when the piston actually starts to move that it will accelerate quicker because it stayed there longer Once the, and the crank is swinging and once it has to get to a point where the crank swung enough of its arc of rotation it's gonna jerk the piston down quicker. So what they call the MOI, the moment of inertia will be higher. The negative aspect of a higher numerical rod to stroke ratio is 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 what its positives are all right well the piston is dwelling longer atop that center so you're using some you're losing some of the crankshears movement to pump air so so it's the engine is not going to pump as much air throughput as it would with a shorter lower numerical rod rod to stroke ratio and then the piston velocity not the moment of inertia the piston velocity will be lower so lots of times if you were to look at a drag engine like a competition eliminator engine they will have a lower numerical rod to stroke ratio because they want the instantaneous, they want the piston velocity to be higher. And say instantaneous—that's wrong. The piston velocity to be higher, and they want the engine to pump more air, and they feel that they could get a better a benefit from that, and they will sacrifice the thrust side bore wear because they're not. Looking for this engine to last 250,000 miles. I know Lingenfelter used to build, when he was alive, he used to build a real short deck competition eliminator motor with a very low numerical rod to stroke ratio, and the bores would be shot after 50 runs because of the side loading, but it made a lot of horsepower. So the thing, because it pumped a lot of air. So don't think that a shorter rod is gonna make more horsepower. It made more horsepower because he spun that engine 10,000 RPM but if you were to have let's say in a pickup truck i would like to have a a higher numerical rod to stroke ratio because that that the way the piston is going to be the flame is going to be expanding against that piston and it's going to be mechanically locked because of the throw of the crankshaft and then it's going to accelerate and that engine will make more torque and have less internal thrust side bore wear and will also have octane tolerance and the octane tolerance comes from keeping the combustion region small longer so as the flame expands there's no place for a rogue flame front to to uh, to uh to be created so the thing is it all depends what you're looking for it's like soybeans and corn right corn corn, (coughs) corn wants nitrogen and soybeans is a nitrogen scavenger two different two different approaches to fertilization two different approaches to get the most yield out of the crop but if you're building a little street strip motor for a square body pickup truck i'd put a, at least a 6 inch rod 6 inch long rod in it if not longer if you're going to buy a new set of connecting rods if you're going to be using the old set of connecting rods then i believe then and depending about what year the motor is then but just look up the center the center length. so and listen i want to thank you so much for all for for clicking in today and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved Mary. you have a blessed day and hey, give me some more pins on the map please I'll I'll talk to you next week. Be safe. Bye-bye.